Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Have your Bibles this morning. I hope you'll find your place in Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8. While you're finding your place there, Buzzard, I I read something today, uh, this week. You like my socks. Okay, everybody wants to see my socks. Just so you'll know, I got on my striped socks. These are my football socks. You'll notice there's a football, and it's hitting the upright uh, there on the goalpost. These are what I call my Alabama socks. The uh, football is hitting the goalpost, and we're losing the game. That's usually what happens. At any rate, so again, we are delighted you're with us today. This is the story I read. Now, look, this is just fun. This isn't, look, not theologically correct, all right? It's just a funny story. There was a bus full of ugly people that had a wreck. And they're standing before the pearly gates, and there's Peter, and and Peter says, I've been granted by God. God's told me that I I can answer one request that you guys have. Well, the first, first, first person standing in line says, I want to be gorgeous. It says, granted, they were gorgeous and they walked into heaven. And the second person said, well, that was a pretty good request. I want to be gorgeous too. Granted, walked into heaven. And one person after the other, they asked to be gorgeous. And the last person standing in line just started giggling and laughing And Peter looked over there and was wondering what he was laughing at, and he got closer and closer, and everybody on that bus asked to be gorgeous. By the time the last person got up to the line, he was laughing so hard, he was down on one knee, and Peter said, well, what's your request? He said, I'm asking all of them be ugly again. (laughs) What does that got to do with the sermon? Absolutely nothing. I just needed a good laugh. Yesterday, I had the wonderful privilege of speaking at the Faith in Blue rally that we had uh, here in Jackson County. The rain kind of moved us over to the Ag Center, but we had a wonderful, wonderful time together. It was a great first time, great turnout, and... uh, uh, there were 12 pastors that were invited to speak. The event was to last two hours. Now, you can do the math on that. Uh, two hours, 12 preachers, that ain't going to happen. It's going to be a little bit longer than that. Well, believe it or not, it really did happen. But it, obviously, all the pastors were thinking the same thing, and all the faith leaders were thinking the same mindset. There's so many pastors speaking, we all got to be short. And so we were, every one of us was short. In particular, uh, you know, I can't say my name in 10 minutes, so I, I, uh, I was just asking the Lord, Lord, give me what you want me to say. And I'm going to be honest with you, Josh, I struggled. I, I wasn't quite sure what I, what I needed to say uh, in response to this. I, I, I did the only thing I know to do. I just preached Jesus. I just told them about Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and how the Bible says you know you're going to go to heaven, give an invitation. That's just basically what I do at, at, at the events when, when uh, I have the opportunity. And after it was all over, an individual approached me and said, can I talk to you just for a minute? And I said, sure. And uh, said, I want to thank you for presenting the gospel. I said, you were the only one that gave a clear gospel uh, presentation. Now, I'm not saying that to, to toot my horn. That's not the point of this story. The point of this story is this. Pastor didn't know what to say and was, I'm going to be honest with you, I was fearful. I was in a room full of peers. And I don't know about you if you've ever been in this situation. But some of the hardest people to talk to about Jesus are, number one, your peers, and number two, your family. It is very difficult to tell folks about Jesus who's in your family. But God has called us to be obedient. And he's called us into some areas of our life to go and to preach the gospel that we don't quite really feel comfortable with. In particular, our family. But if we don't share Jesus Christ with them, who will? In our text today, we're going to find an individual. We're going to be introduced to an individual. We don't know his name. We only know that the Bible says he is a eunuch. And he is from Ethiopia. 
Before we read the text, it's very important to understand the context of what's going on here in this passage of Scripture. Remember the context that we're dealing with in Acts chapter 8. Stephen has just become the first Christian martyr for his faith. Saul, who is a high-ranking religious leader, has Stephen's clothes in his possession to remind everybody of the evidence of Stephen's fate. He died because he was a Christian. Saul is breathing venomous hate towards the church, so much so that the Bible tells us that he's entering into homes and he's dragging people out, taking them to prison. Their crime is trusting Jesus Christ as Savior and propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now remember what Jesus has told us on his ascension. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Acts chapter 1, 8 is the basic contextual theme of all of the book of Acts. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. That's our calling. That's where we are to go as we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. And so as the church is growing, it moves outside the bonds of, Jer of Jerusalem into Judea, and, and Saul is so upset, Stephen has been killed. He's breathing this venom towards the church. He's going in the homes. He's dragging people out. And as he is doing so, the church begins to scatter. As they scatter, they go into Samaria. There in Samaria, God had called a man out of the church by the name of Philip, rose him up, and Philip began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Samaria. Now remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. So much so that one of the apostles uh, said, God, do you, if you just said a word, I'll rain down fire on them. I will, I will rain down and consume fire upon all these Samaritans. But God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. And God's desire was that the Samaritans be saved. And so what happens as uh, Philip begins to preach the gospel in Samaria, many, many people get saved. Multitudes of people get saved and baptized. And as they do so, the church begins to grow in fulfilling the great commission going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world and the earth. And so Philip is here as he's preaching and this revival breaks out. All of a sudden the apostles in Jerusalem hear what's happening and Peter and John come down, John being the one that wanted to rain down fire on the Samaritans, and simply says, they're really getting saved. They have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now upon them. And we see this, what some have called a second Pentecost, one to the Jews and one to the Gentiles take place, where now here they are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and we find the nations coming to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord. There is an awesome revival happening in Samaria and they are excited about what God's doing. In the midst of that revival, that great spiritual awakening, God looks down to Philip and says, it's time for you to go. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go to the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is desert. Can you believe that? God is warning Philip, who is in the midst of this revival, who was the agent of God's grace to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God has just called this man out of this great spiritual awakening in Samaria, men, women, boys, and girls are turning away from the culture and turning to Christ, and they're getting saved, and God says, you got to leave. And not only do you got to leave, you got to go to the desert. So God is calling him out of a fruit-bearing field to a dry, dusty land. Notice what the Scripture says. The Bible tells us there in the text, verse 27, So he arose and went. It doesn't say that Philip argued. He did not, uh, uh, he didn't blow. He just, he's, he, the Bible says he got up and he walked out the door. And behold, a man of Ethiopia. Now let me stop right there and talk about this just for a minute. Where is Ethiopia? Biblically now, Ethiopia has changed biblically throughout the course of history. 
But biblically, in biblical times, this was the large area south of Egypt. It was Africa, just south of Egypt. Today, Ethiopia, we know, is very limited. But in the, in the biblical days, when it was referred to here, it was everything that was from the Nile upward. From the Nile upward, that was considered, if you would, generally, that was Ethiopia. It is the area from which the Queen of Sheba came down when King Solomon was in power. She came down, and the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 10, in verse number 7, the Scripture tells us there that the Queen of Sheba from Ethiopia said, Your wisdom far exceeds that which I had heard. So Solomon's wisdom had extended, if you would, out of Jerusalem and went all the way up. And say, how far is it, Pastor? It's about 1,000 to 1,200 miles away from Jerusalem. And so 1,200 miles away from Jerusalem, the Queen of Sheba hears about a man by the name of Solomon and this great wisdom that he has. She travels all that distance. It's about a 33-day journey by way of chariot. She comes all the way down to visit with Solomon and says, You are more wise than I heard. She gets back on, the, on her chariot. She goes back up, and within that region, there is what's called the Alexandrian Library. There's a library in Ethiopia that contains all the books, and one of the books that it contains is the Scriptures. But it's not just any scripture, it is the uh, Septuagint, it's the Greek version of the scripture. And so we find that this queen of Sheba had great insight into Judaism, and we can clearly see that here in Ethiopia, there is, look at what the Bible says, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here we are. Now we're introduced to not just somebody from Ethiopia. Now we know who he is. He is a eunuch. What can we know about this eunuch? We can know a few things. Number one, we can know first of all that he's a black man. Again, we know that the term Ethiopia is the Greek term for black-skinned people. We also know this. We can know that he would have known Hebrew, or he would not have known Hebrew or Aramaic. They didn't teach that up there. But he would have had access to that Greek version of the Scriptures, and that was in the Alexandrian Library. So it would not be far-fetched to know that at some point in his life, he walked in that library and he pulled out that uh, Scripture and began to read it. As he read it, he became very fascinated with the God of Judaism and began to come closer and closer to Judaism. Now, if you were a Gentile, that is, you were not a Jew, and you were fascinated by this monotheistic teaching of one God who had great order and created the universe, and you were not of the Greek religion, like this Ethiopian eunuch was not of the Greek religion, he left the Greek religion and he got as close to Judaism as he could get as a eunuch, as an Ethiopian eunuch. So what do you mean, Pastor? He is what many scholars call, and many called him in this day, as a God-fearer. So this Gentile was attracted to this beautiful uh, teaching of a monotheistic God, one God who had this very high moral teaching that created the whole entire world. And he was so fascinated by that that he left the Greek mythology, the Greek religion, and he came close to Judaism as a God-fearer. Now, he did not want to go all the way and be a full-fledged uh, proselyte. That's what you called somebody that converted to Judaism. He didn't want to be a proselyte. Why? Well, remember, as a eunuch, he was already emasculated. He, he had already had, at some point in his life as, as a eunuch, he had had, the, um, he had his reproductive parts of his body removed. He could not and would not have a heritage. He could not and would not have kids. And in order for you to be a full-fledged proselyte, what you had to do is you had to commit yourself to circumcision. He said, not for me. Not going to do that. He said, I'd love to, but I'm not going to do it. And then the Bible says, in particular, that he was reading the book of Isaiah. 
But as he was reading the book of Isaiah, we find that if he's reading the book of Isaiah and he wants to be a, a, a proselyte, then we know that there are some things that he's got to do as well. But he's saying, no, I don't want to do that. I think I'll just be a God-fearer. But then he gets to a place in Isaiah chapter 56, if he's reading the book of Isaiah, that he can't get out of his head. What do you mean, Pastor? If you have your Bibles, let me show you what he's reading. In Isaiah chapter number 56, in verse 3, 4, and 5, if he's got a copy of the book of Isaiah, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, there is no doubt that he would come to Isaiah chapter 56, and he would begin reading in verse number 3. Watch this. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. All right, so remember, he's an Ethiopian eunuch. He is a foreigner. He's not a Jew. This scripture says, don't let a foreigner say that he's utterly been separated from the monotheistic God. Don't let him say that. Why? Watch what he says here in the scripture. Uh, he says, nor let the eunuch say, okay, it's more pointed now. He says, now, don't let the eunuch say, I am a dead tree. You know what that means? Don't let the eunuch say he can't have kids. Now this eunuch is interested. Wait a minute. According to this monotheistic God of Judaism, the Bible says me as a foreigner, I don't have to be separated from, from uh, the people of God. And I don't even have to be considered myself as a dead tree. I can have a heritage. How is this? Verse 4. For thus saith the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant. Even to them I will give my house, and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. The man stops and says, I got to have it. I have got to have this heritage. And out of all the people in Ethiopia, here this eunuch possessed the power and the authority to get in the chariot and to go 33 days down to Jerusalem to speak to a rabbi about how he can become a proselyte. He's ready to be circumcised and follow Jewish baptism. Turn back over to Acts chapter number 8. The Bible goes on to say that as this Ethiopian eunuch uh, as it was great as a great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So we find that he made it down. He worshiped God there. He spoke to the rabbi. He had the authority. Now watch this now. He did not have the authority to, to enter into the synagogue itself he could on, or into the temple. He could only dwell in the gates of the Gentiles. That meant he could go into the first gate. He could speak to a rabbi. And the Bible says after that, in that form of worship, in that area, he was returning. That is, he got back in his chariot and he's headed home. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's going back to the scriptures and reading it again because something is not right. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And look at what the man's answer was. He said, how can I unless somebody guides me? In this question, we sense in the context, he is confused, something's not right, he is really struggling. What is it that this man is seeking? Obviously, he did not get the answer that he thought he was going to get. According to Isaiah, the prophet, the prophet said that he could go to Jerusalem, talk to a rabbi... And he could submit himself as an, a, pro, a proselyte. He could accept Judaism and he would have a heritage as somebody that was engrafted into the Jews and he could have a family again. And it didn't happen. 
What do you mean it didn't happen? Well, let me show you what the Bible says. There's a verse that the Jews used to trump the words of Isaiah found in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, we see the reason why this eunuch could not become a proselyte. Notice what the Bible says. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse number 1. Notice what this scripture says. The Bible says... He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. This man, this eunuch, got in a chariot, went all the way down to Jerusalem, 33 days one way. Got out of his chariot, went into the, into the gate where there was the gate of the Gentiles, he spoke with a rabbi about committing himself to be a proselyte. The rabbi said, I'm sorry, sir. It's not going to happen. As a eunuch, you cannot come to the house of the Lord. You cannot be submitted as a proselyte. And he rejects him. He says, there's something that's hindering you. And what hinders you from becoming a proselyte is you're a eunuch. He goes back to the chariot, he gets in, he opens the scroll, and he reads Isaiah again, trying to figure out, what have I done? What have I missed? Look at what the Bible says. The Bible goes on to say here in the text, the scripture says, and as he's reading there, verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture that he was reading was Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7 and 8, where he says, And he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his shearers silent. So he opened on his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I and said, I ask you, of who does this prophet say this? Of himself or as another man? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning at this scripture. Preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said. Watch this. Watch this question y'all. See here. What hinders me from being baptized? Now why did he ask that question? Because he was already hindered from becoming a proselyte. He could not become a proselyte of the Jew. He could not submit himself and become a full Jew. They would not let that happen. First he didn't want it. Then he wanted it. Now he can't. And he's asking the disciple. He's asking Philip. He says, what is hindering me from being baptized now? Because I couldn't do this over there. I thought I understood the scripture, but I clearly didn't understand. I know now that Jesus is the one that died in my place. Is there anything hindering me from coming to Jesus? And Philip says, the only thing that's hindering you is if you believe or not. And the Bible says, watch this. And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found as at Alstos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. A man came to Jerusalem to find God. He was denied God through religion, but he found Jesus Christ through a faithful, fearless witness. We find here in this text a beautiful picture of what it means to have the principles of fearless evangelism. And the one thing you can take away from this narrative, this story, you can take this away from it. God works on the one delivering the message just like he works on the one receiving the message. 
I think we forget that a lot of times. I think we forget oftentimes that God is working in that lost family member's life. That individual that you're so timid and afraid to speak to about Jesus Christ, God's working in that life. God was working in this life. God was working in this Ethiopian eunuch the whole time. God was working in his life in such a way that all he needed was someone to be brave enough to go out to the desert and meet him and share the good news of Jesus Christ. God's timing is perfect. He never comes too late. He never comes too early. He always comes right on time. We may not understand it, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes just exactly when we need him. And that's what we find here in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, there are four principles that I see in this text concerning fearless evangelism that I want to share with you that I believe if you'll implement in your life, you, like Philip, can put your yes on the table and say, Lord, wherever you lead, that's where I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go and I'm willing to open my mouth, whoever you put me in contact with. What are the principles for fearless evangelism? Number one, watch this. Number one, God speaks clearly to those in his will. God speaks clearly to those in his will. Philip was in God's will. Philip clearly understood what the calling was on his life. Philip knew that his life was to glorify God. And by the way, that is the same calling each one of us have on our lives today. It is the will of God that our lives bring him glory. And so you have to ask yourself the question, is your life bringing God glory? Think about what the situations that God has you in. Think about the challenges that God has in front of you. Think about the people that God's placed in front of you. Is, are you functioning and operating inside the will of God that you hear the discerning Holy Spirit speaking to you in such a way that you discern it to say, I know what God wants me to do in this particular situation. Let me show you this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 through 18, when Paul gets saved, he writes to the church at Thessalonica, and as he's writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says this. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also were doing. But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with all with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good. For one another and for all people, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 through 18 tells us what God's will is for our life. That our lives are to bring Him maximum glory. And He will put people in your path so that you can share Christ with. It is our responsibility to be walking in the will of God. Here's the question. How do I walk in the will of God, Pastor? How do I do that? Could I give you just some practical things that will help you to walk in God's will? Number one, the first one is have a daily prayer time to the Lord. Have a daily prayer time to the Lord. If you want to walk in God's will, then you got to talk to the Lord and you got to give the Lord an opportunity to talk to you. One of my most favorite writers growing up as I was being discipled was a man by the name of Peter Lord. Peter Lord wrote a book many, many years ago called the Acts 59-29 plan. Acts 29-59 is uh, uh, 29 minutes and 59 seconds. That's what it stood for. And what it was trying to do was get young believers to commit to 29 minutes and 59 seconds to praying and having a daily devotion time with the Lord. And in that, he said that as a born-again child of God, when you pray, there are pretty much six basic elements that you see in prayer when you read the Bible. The first thing you see is praise. When people pray, they praise the Lord. The second thing you see is thanksgiving. When they pray, they're thanking the Lord. 
The third thing you see is confession. You see them confessing their sins, confessing their thoughts, confessing their heart deepest needs. They confess to the Lord. Uh, The next thing you see is, now you see praise, thanksgiving, confession. He says the fourth thing you see is intercession. They stand in the midst of intercession and they intercede for other believers. They intercede for other people. They ask other God to save other people. They intercede. Number five, the fifth one is petition. There is this petitioning that they have before God where they request before God. God, will you please help me in this particular area of life? He says, there's no doubt when you pray, there are these five elements that are very present. He says, but there's the sixth one that we often miss. And he says, that's the element of listening. How can we praise God, thank God, confess, intercede, make our petitions known, and then say amen and walk away from our prayer time without listening to how God wants us to respond. The only way that this this Philip uh, could go down to this desert was he had to listen to God. He had to listen to what God was telling him. And God said, I want you to go to this desert. He didn't say, but God, I'm right here at this church. I'm telling you, God's moving in a mighty way. There are people getting saved. God, please don't let me go there. Please don't let me go. I don't want to go to no desert. No. Philip is opposite of what we find uh, in regards to this issue of disobeying the will of God. He said, wherever you send, I'm going. You want me to go to the desert? I'm going to the desert. Now watch this. For some of us, this right here on Sunday morning is just a hallelujah, thank you Jesus, shouting good time. We study the Word of God, we learn from the Word of God, we draw from the Word of God, we apply the Word of God, and man, we are ready to go. But here's the thing, what does God want us to do with the Word of God we just heard? He wants us to share that message. He wants us to share what what is God doing in our culture. And so it's not enough just to get information. It's not enough just to get knowledge. No, we have got to get to a place in our lives, church, where we not only receive the Word of God with truth, but we flesh out that truth. And in fleshing out that truth, the only way we can do it is to have a personal walk with Jesus Christ. So if you want to, if you want to be in God's will, number one, you've got to have a daily prayer time. Number two, let me give you the second practical thing. You need to have a daily quiet time. I would recommend this. I would recommend that you take a proverb every day. And whatever the date is, whatever the date is, today is October the 11th. I would read the 11th chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11. And then after that, if I'm a new Christian, if I just got saved, I'd go over there to 1 John. And I'd read all the way through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. That'd be my starting place. That's what I'd do. Why? Oh, because you'll get such deep, deep, rich truth as you grow in your faith. If you want to be in God's will, you've got to have a daily prayer time. You, you need to be reading your Bible daily, having a daily uh, devotion time. And could I just say this too? You need to be involved in church. Now this is what's fascinating in the culture we're living in. We're living in a day where we can be in worship and we can still be at home in our pajamas. And that's, that, that's wonderful for a season. But if that's all we do the rest of our life, we're not fulfilling the Great Commission. Because God wants to use us. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But God wants to use us to get the truth of the gospel out. So God speaks very clearly to those that are in His will. And if we're going to be in God's will in, in, in 2020, then listen, we've got to have a daily prayer time. We've got to have a daily Bible reading time. And we've got to be involved in church. Be involved in What God's doing in the church. Let me ask you this question. As we're involved in church, then we are called out into our community. We're called out into our jobs. We're called out into those deserts. And we begin to share what God's doing in our lives. Can I ask you this? Are you so in tune with God that you're willing to leave a fruit-bearing field and go to the desert? Number two. Not only does God speak clearly to those in His will, the second principle for fearless evangelism is God's direction. God's direction gives boldness to ask the right questions. I've had Christians say this. I've heard them say, man, I just don't know what to say. Could I just say this? Me either. 
I have taken every evangelism class that is imaginable to man. And I still get nervous. And I still wonder, which approach do I use? Do I do, I do, do, I do EE? Do I do faith? Do I do the Evangel Cube? Do I do ABC? Do I do? And look, I have found that God takes just about just every one of those, and God gives me just exactly what I need when I need it to ask the right questions. In this next hour, we're going to have uh, the ne- next worship service. There'll be a couple here that's in my small group. We meet on Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at my house. And uh, may just have a great time of fellowship. Last week, we were discussing this issue of difficult opportunities in regards to evangelism that made us feel uncomfortable. And, and this dear sweet saint that was there said, I've had a, I've had a bad one, Miss Adai. I, I was with a family member. And uh, they found out that I had gotten saved. And I was a brand new Christian. And they really challenged me on my faith. And, and, and I just asked this question, can we wait till we get in the car to talk about this? And the individual said yes. And so they got in the car. And as they got in the car and began to discuss this, this topic of salvation and the changed life and the exchanged life. And uh, she began to answer those questions. And at the end of the conversation, she said, I felt so defeated. I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know everything there is in the Bible. I don't understand uh, everything that I need to understand. I don't even know how to present the gospel. I just answered the question the best that I can. And one of her family members came up to her and said, how did you get so smart? How did you know all that stuff about the Bible? And so as God, as she was feeling so inadequate that she did not have the right answers, God was using those answers to convict that family member to get them to a place to understand that the Scripture is true and there's no explanation. God changed me. He changed me. God's direction gives boldness to ask the right questions. You might feel like you don't know what the right questions are. Could I challenge you this with this? Open your mouth. Wherever they start, remember what the Scripture says. He asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? You just asked the right question. Do you know where you're going to spend in eternity? God's direction gives boldness. To ask the right questions. Number three, got to hurry. My time is getting away from me. Here's the third one, the third principle. God's tool in communicating the gospel is you. I want you to watch this. Look down at verse number 34 in the text. Here's what I'd like for you to do. If you're making notes in your Bible, I want you to underline uh, when it mentions Philip's name. Watch what the scripture says. So the eunuch answered Philip, I'd underline that, and said, I ask you, Of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now the he in that particular verse in verse 38 is a reference to Philip. If we include that, we have five times that the term Philip is used. He didn't use anybody else. David, he only used Philip. And so in thinking about this issue of the tool that God used to communicate the gospel, in this instance, in this narrative, it teaches us it was Philip. But in regards to the Great Commission, while we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that same principle applies to us. We are the communicating tool God wants to use to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when you look through that lens, when you look through those rose-colored glasses, if you would, then where you're at, God has given you the distinct privilege of sharing the gospel with those that are in your sphere of influence. I want to tell you, I want to share, and I, look, you know, I, I would not embarrass anybody. I would not embarrass anybody to save my life. And this person's in here, and I want you to know I'm going to ask forgiveness before I even mention it. Please forgive me. My goal is not to embarrass 
My goal is not to puff up. My goal is to simply give you a biblical example of how a business is operated and run in such a manner to see people come to know Christ as Savior. Miss Tammy Seagraves has taken a very simple, very simple plan in regards to presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reputation of graceful gospel dance and what she does to instill the gospel in those children is absolutely amazing to me. In many years in the past, I, I've been invited, and I'm not jockeying for another one, Tammy. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just in awe that you gather those people together and they come together to watch their children sing and dance or watch their children dance to those beautiful songs that are picked out that gives all the glory and honor to God. But she always gives an opportunity for people to be saved. Absolutely astonishing that she has seen herself, watch this, as a missionary with gifts and talents that God has given her so that she can use those gifts and talents to share the gospel. What an example for you and I. You might say this, you might say, well, Pastor... I don't own my business. So I, I, don't, I don't know that I, I don't know how I would go about that. I promise you, it doesn't take a lot of change in your life to be different than our culture. Man, I've worked in the secular world myself. I, I know what it's like. Man, it, that people having an affairs within the floor that you're on. You just be Jesus to people and people will be attracted to what you have. I can remember when I was working there at uh, Advanced Auto Parts, and I was a utility worker, which meant I got to go to every different department. And man, it was just so wonderful to be able to go to these different departments every day and do something different every day. Uh, I might be driving a forklift one day or a cherry picker one day or, or, or just all these different equipment. Man, I, I just absolutely loved it. And I always was, was with somebody. Always was with somebody. And so eventually, as the weeks passed to months... I got a nickname. Anybody want to guess what my nickname was? Preacher. Preacher. And you know when they would come to me? When they had problems. Most of the time at lunch. You know who always sat by their self? Preacher. You know who always sat with the preacher? The person having the problem. And God gave me that, that opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with many people. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, listen. God has given you gifts and talents that only you possess. And God wants to use those gifts and talents in your life to share the gospel with those people of influence that are around you. Say, man, I feel like I'm in the desert. You're in the perfect place for where God's got you. Number four, and I'm done. God's urgency requires our obedience. God's urgency requires our obedience. In verses 39 through 40, I want you to notice what happened here in the text. The Bible says, now when they had come up out of the water, that is, when the Ethiopian eunuch said, you mean there's nothing hindering me from being saved? I'm unhindered? And he says, yeah, you just, you, you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. If you believe that with all your heart, you, be, you can be saved. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I believe that he is. Stop the chariot. There's water. They pull that thing over to the side and they get in the water. And he goes under the water. And that, by the way, that word baptize means to go down under the water, to be submerged and to come up out of the water. It is a beautiful picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, this, this eunuch may not have been able to identify with Judaism through circumcision, but he could identify with the saving grace of Jesus Christ by being baptized, buried in the likeness of his death, and being raised in the likeness of his resurrection. There was a circumcision that took place that day, but it was in his heart. He had a heart change. And the Bible says that, look, when he come up out of the water... Where did Philip go? Philip's gone. Now, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, tells us there in the text, now when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. That word caught, that's the Greek term where we get our English word rapture. 
And so here we see a rapture takes place. It's, it means to snatch away violently. I, ca- I wonder if he had whiplash. God brought him out of there so quick. I mean, took, took him out and took him to another city. He's going towards Caesarea to preach the gospel. And look at what the Bible says here. So that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. He, he didn't come up out of the water and go, where'd the preacher go? How am I going to make it without the preacher? He... He's the one that guided me to Jesus. How am I going to understand the rest of Isaiah? He, he didn't need to understand the rest of Isaiah. Why? Because it all made sense now. It wasn't that Isaiah was speaking of Judaism. It was that Isaiah was speaking of Jesus. And so here we find this Ethiopian eunuch rejoicing over the fact that he is now a part of a family, the family of God. And watch this. Brothers and sisters, listen. You are a part of this man's heritage. So how is that? Every born-again child of God, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we find that this man went away rejoicing. But watch this. Let me get to the text. I want to I end this thing. I'm out of time. One minute. Man. But Philip was found at Astros, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Why did God catch him so quickly? Why did God snatch him out of the water and send him over there? Because more people needed to hear the message. There was this urgency that God had on his heart for people to come know the truth. And that urgency was so great that he snatched Peter, or excuse me, snatched Philip out, And put him right where he needed to put him. Dear brothers and sisters, I want to mention this to you. I don't know if you feel this way, but does it feel like time is going by a lot faster than it used to? There's this urgency, if you will, that people would know the truth and be saved. And it seems like the faster things go, the more people push away and rebel against God. Can I ask you this question? Knowing that things are going so fast and knowing the urgency of God, to whom is God calling you to witness to? And then let me ask it by this follow-up question. Why? Why? If you know who God's wanting you to witness to, why are you delaying? God is working on their end just like God's working on your end. And because of Philip's obedience... To leave that fruited field that he was in, in Samaria, and go to the desert. Psalms chapter eighty, or Psalms chapter sixty-eight, verse thirty-one, was fulfilled. Well, what do you mean? L- let me show you. If you have your Bibles, let's end with Psalm sixty-eight, thirty-one. What does Psalm sixty-eight, thirty-one say? Psalm sixty-eight, thirty-one simply says this: Princes shall come out of Egypt. Ethiopia shall soon stretch out her hand unto God. Did you see what happened there? The Bible said that Ethiopia will stretch her hand out to God. It all started when the queen of Sheba heard Solomon and went down and talked to him. Went back to Ethiopia and some way, somehow got a copy of the Septuagint. That years later, an Ethiopian eunuch, a nobody, a man that had no heritage, who was a God-fearer and was interested in a heritage that he could not possess, went down to Jerusalem to try his best to commit himself to Judaism, of which he was denied and rejected, and then he got back in his vehicle, in his chariot, to travel another 33-plus days to get back up to his hometown, and in the midst of that, in his discouragement, in his dismay, in his hurt, in his frustration, and quite possibly in his anger, a preacher shows up and says, do you know what you're reading? 
And through that conversation and God working in Philip's life and God working in the Ethiopian eunuch's life, this man gets radically saved, gets baptized in a, in a puddle of water in a, or in a watering hole. There on the side of the road, gets back in his chair, goes up, back up to Egypt with Jesus, or back up to Ethiopia with Jesus in his heart, and he's rejoicing, which means when he got there, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And Ethiopia has stretched out her hand. To God. If God can do that with one nobody, think about what He can do with you. I love that little song they sang. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody. Here's the thing. When it comes to, when it comes to God, God likes to use a lot of nobodies. And God wants to use you. Here's what he's asking you to do. See these principles of fearless evangelism. Implement them in your heart. Flesh them out. And go tell a somebody about, go tell a nobody about a somebody named Jesus. Father, thank you so very much for the opportunity we have to share the gospel. I pray that you would help us to exercise these principles of fearless evangelism. Lord, I pray that we would know that it's not our responsibility to save anybody. It's just our responsibility to share the gospel and to share the truth. You do the saving. So we're, we're just the mail people. We just deliver the mail. I pray that this week, Lord, we would deliver the mail. Put us in places and amongst people as you do every day and every week so that we might share the gospel and exercise these principles as we walk in your will. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Now before I say amen, maybe you're here today, and maybe you're like that Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe you are lost, and you do not know what you're reading when it comes to the Scripture. And the Bible has always, and has always, pointed to Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here, and maybe you need Jesus today. I've got good news. Just as Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be saved. So how would I do that, preacher? Well, according to the Bible, the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's exactly what this eunuch did. I wonder, would you be willing to do that today, sir? Would you be willing to do that today, ma'am? Would you be willing... To fulfill the, what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible says you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. By believing on the name of the Son of God. Would you be willing to do like the Ethiopian eunuch and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. If you're willing to do that today, would you say something like this to the Lord right where you're sitting, friend, right there. Listen, you're watching online right there where you're sitting on your couch in your living room, right where you're at. You're listening to this by way of radio. Listen, say this to the Lord with all your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And Lord, today I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent. And I trust you as Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia 30558. God bless you and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.